As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. In his book, From the Trench to the Bench, Judge Herb Dodell demystifies the legal system, including both civil and criminal, the lawyers, the judges, and the process. As a judge, former deputy district attorney, and criminal defense attorney, He knows the legal system. He has the inside information that you need to pick a lawyer. And he's here to give it to you. No matter what you're facing that makes you think you may need a lawyer, Judge Herb will shed valuable light on your situation and reveal your best options and many secrets of how the judicial system actually works. To find out more about how the legal system really works, you can get your copy of Judge Herb Dodell's eye-opening book, From the Trench to the Bench, at Amazon.com. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
you can't have a hard week, too long a week, and then hear that precious Lord take my hand, lead me home. You can't hear, have too hard a week and hear that song and get through it with a dry. I mean, it just, cause it just speaks to your heart. Precious Lord, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm worn. And how many times do we feel like that? Amen. And then we sing those songs out to the Lord. Teach your children to love our country. You know, encourage them to do that. That it's a great nation. You know, we, are we a perfect nation? No nation's a perfect nation. But the United States of America is, a, I think, the greatest nation on the planet right now. If there's a nation that's protecting rights, protecting religious liberty, protecting the defenseless, I think it's our country. Just, I just think it takes one generation to lose it, you know. Tear up in front of them whenever you, don't be afraid to cry whenever you see somebody raising a flag or saluting a flag. You see a soldier in a restaurant, you don't know where he's from, buy his dinner, say, hey, I wanna get that. Tell them that you appreciate their service. I'll tell you a really quick story before we get to the message. I ran into a, uh, I was at Baylor having some tests run a couple of months ago. A little old man was getting on the elevator and I was getting off and he had Forrestal written across his hat. Preston, you know Forrestal. That's an aircraft carrier that served during the Vietnam War. Of course, you know, it's very brilliant and the way they, their caps are, I could tell it was better. I said, hey, sir, I appreciate you, your service and what you did for our nation. It was Vietnam vet. And he was, he was an older fella. And I said, you served on Forrestal? And he said, yes, sir, I did. And I said, were you there for the fire? I, he just changed. He just said, he, his head raised up and said, yes, I was. And I said, yeah, I said, I've seen that footage where McCain loses one of his rockets. You know, they, they lost a couple hundred men, I think, didn't they, Ron? And he just teared up instantly. He, and you could tell he thought, he knows. There's somebody who knows, you know, what happened. And it's a very interesting documentary, very tragic. But you just don't know how much encouragement you can give to somebody who served in the military doing some little action, some little act like that. They will appreciate it. Amen? Amen. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. This is a great lesson. This is a great practical lesson this morning. And I entitled it in such a way so it would interest people, you know, bewitched. It's one of the few places in the New Testament where you see that phrase used exactly like it's used. And actually, it's not about witchcraft per se, but it is about people's influence. And who has influenced you in such a way that now you have stumbled into this false doctrine? And so Paul, who has been trying to delineate for the Galatians, show the difference between men and women of faith and men and women who are of the law, or men and women who are of faith and going back to the law is the problem. That's the purpose for this letter. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain. So then does he who provided you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to bless the reading and the preaching of it. Please hide this pastor behind the cross this morning that we might preach and teach correctly. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The first thing we see here, great practical lesson out of the book of Galatians, is, a call, is, is Paul's great call for spiritual reasoning within the church. And we know this, we know this because of the introduction to this particular thought. So this is still a carrying on of Paul's major teaching about the importance of, of being saved in the faith and being sanctified in the faith and our relationship. It has to do with faith and not by the works of the law. And this is a great lesson for us as Christians because remember what we have been preaching and teaching the last several weeks is there's always somebody trying to enslave you. Remember that. Sometimes it's ourselves, just guilt, something parents maybe told us years back. And so it was something, well, if I don't do this, then I'll be a bad person. It can be something like that. And so in church, different things related to church. And so there is great freedom in your relationship with Christ. And that relationship is maintained. You come to know Christ through faith. It's really more about Jesus and the cross and less about you. Somebody say amen. And so this, there's a call here for spiritual reasoning to take place within the church, and he uses two great diagnostic tools here. The first one is he calls them foolish. You foolish Galatians. And the second is, he says, who has bewitched you? And so the two ways that we can look at this broadly is that they had suffered first an internal threat. 
The word that he's using there for foolish uh, means how we reason through a manner, a proper logic, being mindful. And so you, we need to remember that the Christian faith is a thinking faith. You know, when you're saved and when you're convicted about things, God works through a reasoning process. You are a human being. You have a cognitive ability to reason, to think things. And think about how wonderful the cross and the gospel is, the Holy Spirit, because he works with a wide, wide variety of people of, different, of varying intelligence, from different cultures, of different ages. But God's purpose is still carried out. The message still gets through to all different kinds of individuals. But here he's saying... What kind of internal struggle is it internally? You foolish Galatians. So he's, first he's saying you have failed internally. You're reasoning, you're thinking. Somebody's trying to lead you back into slavery. The first litmus test here is what's going on in your mind? What, what kind of foolish reasoning are you using to go back to the works of the law? Now the second is an external threat. He said you foolish Galatians, talk to them first personally, but then he talks about externally. Who has bewitched you? This is a fantastic Greek word that is talking about putting somebody under a spell. It could mean he's using a word here that talks about causing somebody where they can't think for themselves. So your understanding of your theology, how is it that you reason this? That's internal. And then what external forces have caused you to try to go back to the law? This is important for us as Christians to realize that we suffer threats both internally and externally about the good things of Christ. So let's just say hypothetically that God intends good things for you and for you to know certain things, okay? It's not a hypothetical. That's true, okay? God intends good things for you, wants good things for you. you there's two threats here that Paul mentions at the first part of Galatians 3, and that is things that happen within us in our thinking and then things that attack us externally. Who has spellbound you? Isaiah said in 18, uh, Isaiah 18, 9 and 11, Whom shall we teach knowledge? Whom shall make us to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and draw from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. The Christian experience, the Christian faith that we are all going through, this journey that we are all on, nobody gets it all at once. Now, we get all of the spirit at once, okay? When you die, when you breathe your last breath as a Christian, you'll not have any more or less of Jesus, of the spirit, than you did when the day you got saved. You get all of it, but you don't have the full maturity. There's varying degrees of maturity. Some very immature Christians finish this life. They haven't grown very much. I hate to say I think that's more the case than not. But some Christians, when they came to faith, they continued to grow in their faith, and they grew, and they grew, and they, they were discipled, and they discipled others, and they had a great impact. Those two kinds of individuals exist. But the scriptures call for us to be a thinking faith, to think things through. He's going to deal with you on that level. Jesus talked about this. You've heard me quote this verse out of Luke 27 and 27. Remember when he was talking about discipleship, and he said, Who does not carry his own cross cannot come after me and be my disciple? For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? Think about the cost if he has enough to complete it. And otherwise, if the foundation is laid and he's not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, if he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming with him against him with 20,000? So Jesus was encouraging us, to think. Think about what it is that's going on here. Four broad applications is this first verse that we're talking about. I want to give you four encouragements off, off of this first verse. Becoming a thinking Christian, growing deeper in your faith. Number one, you need to become a disciple. Did you hear what I said just a moment ago that our last breath that we breathe on this earth, okay, we are going to be, if you're a Christian, you're going to go to heaven because you accepted Christ as your Savior. But what have you done with your Christian life? Have you grown in your Christian life? Well, part of that is being discipled. You need to be a disciple of Christ. You need to, to follow him. It's like finding a great big treasure of gold, a mountain of gold, and say, well, I'll take a dime off the corner here. No, it's, a free, it's free. He'll give you all that you can handle. It's like being a, a man dying of thirst and coming to a great well and say, yeah, well, give me a thimble of water. No, you want all you can take. You want all of him he can take. You need to become a disciple. The second thing is, under this first verse, is that you need a lifestyle conviction. 
The reason I don't think more people are not discipled and become discipled and grow in their faith is because of a lack of conviction. I do believe that it's possible for you to meet Jesus, meet the Prince of Peace, come to faith in him, and then not maintain that relationship like you ought to maintain it. Oh, yes, we can be saved. You know, and I know you can't live at 10,000 feet, but I want to try. Amen? I don't want to live in the valley, dejected, defeated, not being able to do anything for God or anybody or even myself. I mean, I want to live at 10,000 feet. I don't get to. I get depressed. I get down. But you need conviction. You need, number one, be a disciple. Number two, you need lifestyle conviction. You need to be convicted about this. I want to follow Jesus. This, and this is one of the encouragements I think that Paul's giving to the Galatians. And thirdly, you need others. And we are living in a society that increasingly is, we're divided. We're afraid to share with one another. We're afraid to have a good friend. If I'm a good friend with someone, they're going to find out that I'm not all right. That's what's at the bottom of that. If I really get to know someone, we went out to eat this last weekend with Rosa and Roger West and had a really, really good time. But Roger and I were talking about the fact that, you know, pastors struggle. People in ministry struggling having friends. Not too many people want to be friends of the pastor. You know why? Because they're a little bit afraid. You're going to, we're going to find out about me. I have the same fears. I'm afraid you're going to find out about me. You find out I'm not perfect. Guess what? I'm not. Amen? You need other people in your life. You need to have relationships. And number four, you need caution. So... I wasn't in the military, but I, one of my great regrets in life, but I know, I've heard people who are in the military say this, that when they were being trained, that their sergeants, that their trainers, that their instructors told them, listen, you're going to need this, you're going to need this, you're going to need this, because when you get out in battle, this is going to happen, you need, and your training needs to kick in. Guys, it's the same thing with the Christian faith. When your Sunday school teacher or your parents are teaching you about biblical principles and everything it's this exact same thing it's it's your instructor speaking to the recruits saying listen you're going to need this you're going to need this you're going to need to know how to pray you're going to need to know how to witness you're going to need to know how to overcome discouragement you're going to need it because the battle is coming can i get an amen on that paul addresses a second issue here how the christian receives the holy spirit look what he says he begins to make his argument He's kind of gotten on to him in verse 1, but look what he does in verse 2. Now he starts to make his argument about the Spirit of God. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit of works by the law or by the hearing of faith? And so there's three or four things here that we want to talk about he's addressing with the Galatians. He says, how did you get the Spirit of God? The Galatians knew the Spirit. They saw the Spirit. They saw its works. We're going to talk about a little bit more about it in just a moment. They knew the Holy Spirit. It was real. It, it did some different things. They knew when they were saved. Now, how many of you, when you were saved, you felt different after you were saved? You had that, wait a minute, this is different. I've tried to turn over a new leaf, or I've been in trouble and gotten in trouble with the law, or I've done this or this. I've gotten in trouble at school and got a paddling, but this is different. I've met somebody. He's coming to my heart. He's coming to my life, and wait a minute, this is different. Well, that's what happened to the Galatians, and he's calling them back to that moment. He says, how did you receive the Spirit of God? Number one was by hearing. You have to hear. Brothers and sisters, one of the critical aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus because people have to hear. You have to hear it. And I commend all of you who listen to tapes or going down the road and you have Christian radio stations, you're listening to preachers and you buy books because you know, you get it, that you have to have that incoming information of the scriptures. Uh, of, and you know, what did he say about his word? It comes back, it will not come back void most of the time. No, it doesn't say that. It will not return void. And so when you make that effort to read your Bible and to, and to listen to God's word, he's going to feed you every single time. You're going to be able to get a little bit of something. Other. How? By the hearing. How did you receive the Spirit? By the hearing. The second thing that he's talking about, aspect, is by believing. We hear the gospel, and then number two, we believe. Let me step outside of this verse right here and go over to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 because Paul's theology on salvation and receiving the Spirit are connected to these verses. He has a very full theology on this. Look what he says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, also believed. There's that word believe, but he adds something else here. Do you see the listening, the believing? But Paul adds here... And you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given to us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to praise of his glory. 
So he's taught, we see three aspects in Paul's theology of salvation here and how we, how we are saved. By hearing, by believing, and what's else, what else is something that happens? There is a sealing that takes place. Now this is a very important aspect of Paul's whole theology on salvation. And he keeps the same mode of salvation, even though we don't see all of it in Galatians. It's all there. You can't just build a theology on one verse. You've got to look at all the verses. But you, we see it in Romans 10, 9, and 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. So there's a fourth thing. We see it in the hearing, the believing. What else is happening? There's a sealing of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit seals you. He's got you in his grasp. And we confess him. We confess him as our Lord and Savior. We really don't know what's going on in the cosmic sense. We don't know what's happening. We just know because we know when we're saved. And when we look at two people and somebody's witnessing to someone else, we have to take it by faith that somebody's praying with somebody else. I mean, we don't want to get lost in the semantics. The Holy Spirit's the one who's in charge of this. But let me encourage you about something and what happened to the Galatians and what happens to you, this, especially in this aspect of sealing. One of my favorite verses, and I'll read this verse every time. When I lead somebody to the Lord, I'll read this verse to him. This is John chapter 10, verses 28 through 25. Jesus is getting on to the Pharisees a little bit. He's having a battle with them, but we're getting the benefit as believers. Listen to what he says. And Jesus answered them, and he said, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep, this is verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, we're talking about Paul talking to the Galatians about the Spirit of God. He's, he's trying to delineate between people who are going back to the law, but really he's trying to keep them in faith. This is why it's so important to remain in faith. When we begin to live legalistically, somebody can rob you of that confidence that God has you uh, in his hand and nobody can take you out of his hand. At that moment of conversion, when you're really saved and you make a profession of faith, you have been sealed. You have been put into the hand of God, not by your standards or denominational standards or man's standards, but by God's standards, by biblical standards. You've been adopted into the family of God. You're one of his children. You will never be an enemy of God again. His spirit will always dwell with you and in you and with you, empowering you. No sin you will ever commit will separate you from that mighty hand. Can I sin, Brother Mike? Yes, you can sin. You probably will. Can I doubt? Yes, you, you probably will doubt. Can I ever be lost again, though? No, you'll not. And that's exactly where those old Judaizers were taking those Galatians trying to lead them back into the legal system so that they could tell them, listen, if you're not doing this just right, well, then you must be lost. You're lost. You're lost. And he said, listen, it's all grace. When my father gets you in his hand, nobody can take you out. Can I get an amen on that? Now, have we abused that? Well, sure we have. And one, the very scary thing that I and every minister in the room has struggled with is when we get a person that says, well, I prayed this some little old prayer prayer back in the day. Well, you know what? You've got to be gentle there. You've got you to visit with them. You've got to find out what did they really do back there five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. How was this person saved? How did they come to know Christ? This doctrine is important because it stresses the importance of first making sure that you have a good salvation experience. And listen, that's what I'm all about as a Baptist preacher, as a Christian, is making sure that you have had a good salvation experience. Because if you haven't, all types of esoteric cults, all types of theology say, well, you, yes, it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Yes, it's Jesus plus being a member of my church, our church, our denomination. And none of those things has anything to do with whether you're saved or not. It's whether you placed your faith in Christ or not. And let me go ahead and even meddle just a little bit more here. Well, but I love my grandma. And I just had this moment. I was sitting on the back porch, and I, really, I was thinking of my grandma, and I just kind of knew I was saved then. I'm going to mess with you. If you tell me that, I'm going to mess with you. Or I start talking to you, and he says, well, we were going through a real hard time then, and I was uh, driving down the road, and I saw this deer, and I just kind of knew from that point forward. (laughs) I'm going to mess with you. Now, am I taking away that God uses people, places, things, tragedy? 
No, Brenda and I have a, a, a testimony. There was a lot going on in our life. But the focal point of our testimony and all the different horrible things that were going on in our life was that a Baptist preacher sat me down on the couch and he shared the gospel with me and it came down to a focal point where I met a man named Jesus. Not about a dog or a bird or even a dearly beloved relative who's now in heaven. It's not about any of those things. It's about a man named Jesus. That is how we are saved. That's how we know, have confidence that we are Christians. That and continuing to grow in him. And that's our next point. The sanctification of the spirit. Are you maturing? Look what he says in verse 3. He leaves that subject and look what he says. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? So he points out that they've begun in the spirit initially. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, what's he talking about there? Remember I told you all sermons, all lessons deal with salvation, sanctification, or glorification. They fall in one of those three groups. Well, this is sanctification. This is how, are you growing? He said, you began in the spirit. When you met Jesus, you knew it was just faith in him and following him and just innocent faith like a child taking a parent by the hand. That's what you're doing. You're following him in faith. You began that way. Now you're going to leave that. You were growing and maturing in the faith, but now you're going to the law. Every one of us as Christians have almost fallen over into legalism and the law. Do you know why? Because we were raised in schools or we were raised by our parents. Don't do this. If you do this, you get this. But there's nothing about the gospel that makes any sense because he says, listen, if you'll love me and trust me, you, you're, you're taken care of forever. That doesn't make sense. I should have to work for my salvation. I mean, part of me and my flesh says I need to be able to work for my salvation. I need to be able to. No, if I work for it, it's not salvation anymore. I don't get to go to heaven and kick the door in and say, hey, I'm here. I did it. Y'all ought to be glad you got me. Does anybody think anybody's going to get into heaven that way? <laughs> I can tell by your laughter, no. We're going to appear before the king. We'll have crowns and we'll cast them from our heads and throw them at his feet. And say, oh my gosh, how did, you, how did you ever do that for someone like me? We'll come humbly and broken before him. Did you begin in the spirit, but now you're turning to the law? Paul is concerned about how we mature as Christians. Let me share some verses. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Talking about growing in the Lord. Philippians 1 and 9 and 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things which are excellent in the Lord, to be sincere, blameless until the day of Christ. Philippians 2 and 12 and 13. But how much more in my presence work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you see, all of Paul, this was a major tenet of Paul's teaching that we would grow in Christ. But we're not really the ones doing it. It is him in us growing us into the likeness of Christ. Well, let me wrap this point up by saying that I have three points right here on this section. I don't think it's as much about working as it is surrendering. Now listen, I don't think it's as much about working to be a better person as, as it is surrendering. When I work to make myself do something spiritual, I never have the same feeling as when I just surrender to do what it is that God wants me to do. I mean, and Brenda's the one who helped me with this point here this week. She didn't know about it, but Miss Greesom had gotten her a devotion this past week, and Brenda had been reading it. And it was talking about how you can't make God just another checklist, another thing to do off your checklist. I remember as a young man going to check on my dad, and it was kind of a thing I needed to do. I mean, he, he did need me to check on him. At certain times, I'd need to make a run to Oklahoma from Texas, check on him, make sure everything was all right, have a cup of coffee, maybe play the guitar, do some different things, then boom, back on the road. As time went by, I was convicted about that. And I was realizing that he's not just a checklist. I mean, I could see the end coming. He was getting older. I could see him getting frailer. And I was thinking, you know what? It's not so much about a checklist as it's about a moment I'm getting to spend with my dad. That's what our moments with the Lord ought to be. It's not about as much working as it is about surrendering, number one. And secondly, it's not as much about knowing about Christianity as it is seeking. Some, I've known some Christians who knew a lot about the Bible, who knew a lot of different things, but I don't know that they were Christians. You can know a lot about the things of God and still not be very Christian-like. But I've met some seekers. 
I met some people, I've met some 14 and 15 year olds and they were seeking. I have seen times in my life where I'd rather been them, that 14 or 15 year old, because they were really seeking the things of God. It was not just about knowing a bunch of stuff about God. So it's not as much about working as it is about surrendering. It's not as much about knowing about Christianity as it is about seeking. And it's not as much about checking off a list as it is just loving God. And that's where the Galatians were headed. They were just going to be a bunch of list checkers for God. Now this last point I want to tell you quickly because it's very interesting. It's one of my favorite points. Look at verse 4. In our first reading it says, Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, if indeed it was in vain. And then you got to connect it with verse 5. So then does he who provided you with spirit and the works and miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so now he's talking about the operation of the Holy Spirit. But you notice he says, did you suffer so many things? Well, really, that's a little bit dubious there. Scholars are a little bit divided about what that word suffer, because it can mean, did you experience so many things? But let's look at it both ways. He could be saying, did you suffer? And this means as Christians, did they suffer? And the Galatians did suffer. If we take that region of the world they were in, and you connect it to chapter 14 of the book of Acts, they suffered. They, that's in chapter 14 where they stoned Paul and left him outside of the city for dead. They thought they'd killed him. Paul lived a very, very difficult life. And the Christian life, if you live it right, if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer in the the classroom. You're going to suffer at work. You're going to suffer in your family and sometimes with your friends. If you do what's right as a Christian, you're going to suffer. It's going to hurt. That's one possible interpretation. But there's another another possible interpretation. It means, did you experience so many things in Christ? I tend to lean this way. I know the other's true. But I tend to lean that, did you, did you, it's almost like me speaking to the Galatians and East Texan, said, did you see all the, what you just saw, and, and that was a faith, and now you're going back to the law? That's what Paul's saying. That's a Calhoun paraphrase right there for you. <laughs> did you see the miracles? Did you see what God did in your midst, and now you're going back to legalism? One commentator said, a Christianity in which there is no signs and mighty works and no visible charismata is no longer heard. Although not all would agree with Kaysman's weeping judgment here. This legitimate emphasis is, however, fairly balanced in its context. And what he's talking about is that if you have a faith where nothing ever really happens, who wants to be a part of a faith like that? I got to have a Chase West call me when he's driving down the road sometime, and he says, Mike, I just read this verse of Scripture, and it fit right here. And I'm telling you, I don't know how this verse, but God just handed it to me i got to have a Ron Bry who tells me, you know, I was driving down the road and, and I needed this particular thing and I stopped at a restaurant and there was the guy in the particular thing. And, you know, you can't explain it other than God did it. And I'm telling you, I have seen God do miracles and you have too. You've seen, him do them in, you've seen God do miracles in the operating room. You've seen, him do him, you've seen him do them in families. And you've seen people in your community that nobody would, would have given 10 cents for their life, but they met Jesus and their life changed. And you couldn't give the credit to a psychologist or a doctor or some drug he put in his vein, but to the God he met. Because we believe in miracles. God will provide all of our needs. 
because there is a Holy Spirit. Paul is saying to the Galatians, did you get that Holy Spirit from the law, the flesh, or did you get it by faith? Brothers and sisters, this morning, remember that the Holy Spirit is amongst us right now, and he's still working. And he convicts, and he guides, and he saves, and he heals, and he steals the storms of your life. He woos the heart. He encourages you. He discourages you sometimes. He stops you in your tracks when you're in danger. He calls you to salvation. He works in our ministry, performs miracles that we cannot explain, stops the demons that each one of us are fighting. He enlightens your heart and opens your understanding to the words of the scriptures. He defeated Philistines, raised the dead, and he separated an ocean for his children who were crossing and there was no way and he made a way of an escape. And he's here this morning speaking to your heart right now, this very second. The Holy Spirit of God is moving, he's working, and it's not by the law, but it's by faith. So when you think about your life and you think about your mission at Pruitt Baptist Church, and you begin to think and you begin to dream, wonder what God can do here. Remember, it's not according to our ability, but it's according to God's ability. And that his spirit is dwelling in our midst. And if we'll follow him in faith, there's not a thing that he can't do. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, I sure would like to be a part of that fellowship. I'd like to join that church at Pruitt, but I'm not sure I can be good enough. The answer to that question was the same as last week. Remember what we said? You can't be good enough. But God in you will be good enough. He'll help you be just what you need to be. You'll fit in here just like a missing piece of a puzzle. Amen? Isn't that a great scripture? It's a great scripture that we've read this morning. Let me pray for us. Wow, Father, I just thank you for being here this morning. I thank you for speaking to our hearts. Father, I thank you for reminding us that whether we're talking about ministry, dear Lord, or we're talking about miracles and how they work in our midst, dear Lord, that we're reminded it's a movement of your Holy Spirit. And Father, how we are saved and how we are kept by your mighty hand, it is the Spirit of God. It's your Spirit, O oh Lord. And it's through faith that these things happen. Father, help us to be a people of faith. Help Pruitt Baptist Church to be a people of faith, dear Lord, who believes that you are the God who still does what he says he will do. Lord, I believe that this morning. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you provided on a cross for our salvation and our sanctification. I pray it in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Brother Mike Calhoun. I have a special message I want to share with you this morning. You have a really great opportunity this morning, I think, to think about some different things in your life and where you're going and what you're doing, and Scripture does that to us. And it comes out of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read a few verses to you here. As Paul, if you have a New American Standard, you see it there in the title. It says, Being Imitators of God. Look what it says in verse 1 there. Therefore, be imitators as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as a proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silliness of talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly of darkness, but now you are of the light in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the light it consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the lord do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness but rather expose them for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret when all things become visible they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light and for this reason it says awake o sleeper arise from the dead and christ will shine on you now, some of you may have heard this illustration, but did you know a few months back that they had discovered some planets that are like 40 light years from Earth? It was part of the message, I promise. But they discovered these planets are about 40 light years away, and so what that means is that they're going to have to do a couple of things to try to get to these planets. They're either going to have to put people asleep on spaceships to get there, because there's people already thinking about how can they get there. So they're going to have to put people to sleep, or they're going to have to develop a colony on the ship, and then when they get there, they'll have a colony, ready-made colony. 
do you know, I think there are already people who are thinking where they're going to put a McDonald's or where they're going to put a Walmart, you know, on that planet so they can start selling stuff. But I think that they ought to put a, they ought to send church planters. And that whenever they get there, they ought to start a church because somebody's going to need to tell them what to do when they wake up. Amen? Tell them what God's about and tell them, and tell them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So there's the key phrase, wake up, okay? That's the phrase I'm going to attend here at the end of scripture here at the end of our lesson this morning. Paul is talking to the Ephesians about being imitators of God. But he, you have to remember that he, as he's coming out of chapter 4, He's already been talking about their lives. Then he's been telling them about the Christian life and Christian living. And he's told them that they had darkened minds, but they no longer have darkened minds. In verse 22 of chapter 4, he's told them to lay aside the old life. In 23, he's talking about renewing your mind. In verse 25, he says, speak truth to one another now, because now you have these changed minds and these changed lives. And I think that Scripture... All the way through it has these sites in it, these places where God tells us what to do. And I'm, I'm a simple kind of person. When you, I like to be told, just tell me what to do. You can ask Brenda. I just tell her, just tell me what you want me to do, okay? Say that to her all the time. And, you know, the Lord wants to do that for us. And this is one of those places in Scripture. He is going to give them some life encouragements. And I like to think about this as being a life site. Look what he says in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice, God, as a fragrant aroma. This is what I would say would be a life sign. And he's trying to encourage them about us being imitators of God. So there's our first encouragement this morning is, how can we be pleasing to the Lord? But one of the things that we can do is be imitators of God. We ought to want to imitate the Lord. And in Paul's theology, he talks about being imitators of me. You'll hear Paul say, be an imitator of me. He says, follow me and follow my example. Now, he's not saying that in a boastful way. He's talking about in the, in the term of a Christian life, or we might even call it in the 21st century, about in discipling. And so just really quickly, three things he says there is one of the things you need to do is you need to look like. Be imitators. Look like one of God's children. Have you all ever here in the Pruitt community had somebody, and, and you would meet a child or whatever, and you say, well, I can, I can tell that child belongs to one of the Smith family. Boy, because they, they do certain things, or they are very honest, or maybe hardworking. I'm talking about it in a positive context. And you would say, oh, my goodness, that was, that's an Espen shade right there. You can tell that's an Espen shade girl. Did you see? And you'll make that comment. Do you have friends like that? Well, we ought to look like God's children. This is one of the things Paul's saying, is that we ought to, as Christians, look like God's children, look like we belong to him. A second thing he says there in that verse, being imitators of God, in verse 2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So not only should we imitate and look like God's children, but we also ought to love like God's children. Now, this is an incredible conviction for us as a New Testament church. But I would tell you, I would submit to you this morning that one of the great challenges we're having in the 21st century is people don't feel loved. Now, I know I'm talking about feelings here, and theology transcends that, but listen... There is a real element of truth in what I'm talking to you about here. Besides just looking like God's children, we ought to love like God's children. We'll never go so far, be so successful, or be so impactful in our community and in our world as a church unless we learn to love like God's children. Brother Mike, that's a great concept. I like that, but you know, it's a little bit scary. But how should we love like God's children? Well, here's the standard. Look what it says in verse 2. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. You notice it doesn't say kind of like Christ loved you. Trying to attain as Christ loved It says to love as Christ loved you and gave himself up as an offering. Now listen, what's the degree I'm supposed to go to, Brother Mike, in this Christian love thing that you're describing? Well, it's described there for you in Scripture Christ went all the way. There wasn't anything he wasn't willing to do up to and including giving his very own life. He gave himself for us. He loved, he, he, God loved his son. He loved his son, but he loved us also. And he commanded his son to go and to a cross and die for the likes of us. We are a loved people. And one of the biggest successes we're going to have in our community is when we begin and continue to love like one of God's children. And a certain thing happens as a result of that. We become a sweet-smelling aroma or fragrance. Look what it says. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant 
aroma, as a fragrant aroma. We're going to live like, we're going to love like, and then we're going to ask this important question here, what do we smell, what do we smell like? What's our fragrance? And I'll get to the front of this line right here. And I don't always bring forth a pleasing aroma into the nostrils of a holy God. But it's only, when I, it's only when I allow myself to be surrendered to him and his purposes and I walk in God's ways, in the ways of Christ, does that life begin to emulate. And I can't even take credit for that. When I am being good, that's not me. That's God. And then when I do do something wrong, guess who that is? That's me. And that's you also as well as Christians, as believers. Learn to live like, learn to love like, and learn to allow your life to be the kind of present fragrance in the nostril of a holy God. This has to do with the imitation of us, of, of the imitation of following Christ, and Paul just unabashedly says, be ye followers of me. This theme is throughout Scripture. You find this in 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 when Paul spoke to the Corinthians, and he said, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 10 and 33 when he said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved, be ye followers of me. Of leadership, this is in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 6. And you become followers of us and the Lord having received the word in much affliction and of the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13, Paul continuing that theme. 2 and 14, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 14. For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ. So that theme of becoming imitators of God, the apostle saying in a disciple, being in a discipling way, being followers of me, and then even followers of the churches, that theme is all the way through the New Testament. And the problem we have today is we are living in a generation of people, they don't want to follow anybody. Isn't that true, Ron? People don't want to follow anyone today. And let me just grind this little pet peeve of mine. You've heard me talk about this just for a second. But, you know, I know that this was something. I, I think it wasn't us, but it was the Lord convicting Brenda and I early in our Christian life that we had to find people who knew how to live the Christian life. And we just went up to them and we asked them. I've told you this story before. And we said, would you please disciple us? We need to know how to be Christians. And I give as an example for that. Most of you, some of you were raised in, in homes where you blessed your food at every meal. Now, what do you do if you weren't raised in that home? I mean, what were... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And I to do. We weren't raised in homes where they blessed their food. We found a couple, a godly couple, lived right across the street. What do you do? You go and you ask them, and we listen to how they bless their food. When someone loses a loved one, and I've seen some of you do this, in the hallways of the school, you run into that friend, and you know they need to be prayed for. How do you know what to pray for that person? Unless you yourself have been prayed for and or have heard somebody pray for someone who's going through crisis. Listen. We have to become followers. To be good Christians, we have to be followers. And I, be I beseech you this morning, this life site in Scripture is imploring you. Paul is imploring you, you. Who are you following? Are you being discipled? If you're not, you're playing a game of chance. If something's going to be affected by this, and this is going to be your life witness. Look what it says in verse 3. Now he addresses a problem that they were having at Ephesus. He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silliness or talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that with, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and kingdom of Christ and God. What will be affected is your life witness. This life side is talking about your life witness. And there's three aspects to it. That's your personal, your social, and your eternal ramifications. 
He uses the word immoral, impure, and covetous. Por immoral is pornos. You know, that's where we get our word pornography. Uh, debauchery, fornication is what that's talking about. An impure person, akathartos, which means foul or unclean, demonic in nature. And covetous man is, is simply a Greek word that's talking about people who are all about gain and materialism. He says, first of all, let there be no hint in your personal character. So that first one is that personal manifestations. I forgot y'all had outlines this morning. In your personal manifestations. This goes back to the earlier point, but we have to be intentional, and we have to be intentional about how we live our lives, and this is one of the number one ways. It was for the Greek, Greco-Roman world, and it's one of the number one ways in America today. This is not even an issue in America today. Everybody's not talking about that. Only in places of worship or where they study the scriptures, they even know there's a problem. The way what we see on television, the jokes we tell, the articles we read, what has become acceptable across the board has begun to affect the personal manifestation, the personal character of us as Christians. Now listen, I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy here. I don't want you to think I'm, because I like to have a good time. I like to, I like to laugh. You can ask Chris and Ron. I mean, I love to tease and I be teased and we have, a, we have a good time. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the kind of lifestyle people, we ought not say some of the things we say in front of one another. Ladies, you ought not let somebody say some of the things that they say in front of you. A person of character, a personal manifestation of, of Christ in your life means you won't allow that and you don't entertain that. Another reason you don't do that is because you become vulnerable. You get a group of friends where they tease one another about sexual innuendos and make jokes and different things. You're becoming vulnerable to one another. Things can happen in that situation. You're lowering your guard. But if you're a person who considers yourself a person of worth, you're worth something. You know you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't just let anybody say anything they want to say in front of you. And ladies, if somebody does say something in front of you, you come get me. I'll tell them you ought not be talking like that in front of a young lady. Ladies don't let men or boys talk in front of you like that. Somebody say amen, please. There's a personal characteristic. There's a manifestation. But there's also in your social interactions, verse 4, there must be no filthiness or silliness of talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather for thanks. And there must be a proper eternal appreciation. And we really need to talk about this just a little bit in verse 5. For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an adulterer has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is not saying that if we do these things that we become lost. That's not what it's saying. It is saying, I think Paul is trying to draw a distinction in this life site, he's trying to draw of a lifestyle that's reflective of someone who is saved. He's saying, look, people who live like this, this type of immoral character, with just flagrantly living however they want to live, says, that can't be a saved person. You need to check your salvation. And, and I, I agree. I think we have given a false sense of security to many people throughout the years by saying, if you pray and you pray this little old prayer, well, then you're taking care of it from now. Now you can go do whatever you want to. Nothing could be farther from the truth. When you become a Christian, you, you are now convicted about things. And I think about the things in my earlier life that I said and I did and I thought. And, you know, when those same things try to march through my mind now, there's incredible conviction. God's there now convicting me, saying, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't think that. Do I do those things sometimes? Yes, sometimes. But not as a matter of a lifestyle. He's trying to draw a distinction. And what he's doing is he's giving a life warning here. He's giving a life warning. Look what he says in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, this life site has this important life warning, and he's drawing out that there is a deception. The Greco-Roman culture, they used to participate in that type of immorality wholeheartedly. It was actually part of the worship service. They were able to, of the Greek worship services. There were temple prostitutes. It was part of your duty. It was part of your requirement to go to those temple prostitutes and to partake uh, so that the land would be blessed and so that the fields and, the, and your family would be blessed. And so that was what Paul is confronting. And I submit to you this morning that the world, the culture today, is doing the very same thing. It's doing the very same thing. It's being inviting of this type of lifestyle. It's in being inviting of this type of nature. You know, if you can't imagine what your six or seven-year-old child doing it or singing, then don't you do it or say it. Somebody say amen. That's the kind of innocent life that we ought to be trying to live for the glory of God. Don't be deceived. 
And he said, they will receive a special condemnation. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so lest we forget, lest we forget, remember that we as Christians are trying to provide a light, a way for a lost and dying world. And where are they going? They're, going, they're headed into God's wrath. You, our wrath as Christians, if you've been saved, you're here this morning and you've been saved, that wrath has already been poured out on Calvary's tree. He's taking it. And whenever, whenever, we do sin, whenever we do sin or we backslide or we have trouble in our, in our personal lives now, listen, the back of Christ himself has taken that. His blood has been shed on Calvary. But when men and women show up at eternity, eternity's door, and they've not received Christ, the wrath of God will be poured out upon them then. Don't be deceived. There's special condemnation for those who participate in that. We are now different as born-again Christians, as believers of Christ. We have been transformed. And then for the most important point, I think, in Scripture this morning, look what it says in verse 9. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and faith. And here's the key verse, I think, in verse 10. And this is what this morning's message really to me is about. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And it talks about do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's even disgraceful to mention these things by which they are kept in secret. And he's talking about the nature of light. As a life quest, you were darkness, but now, brothers and sisters, you have become light. Okay? A city on a hill cannot be hid. You are salt. There's salt in your life. You work. You just think about it with me for a minute. You're a man who works in a factory, and you work with 40 other men, and all those other 40 men are lost. And when you go to work that morning, you're the, at that moment, you're the only hope they have. Not that you can save them personally, but the, the gods you know, the gospel you know, the kingdom that you carry around inside of you can affect those 40 men's lives and their eternity. You were in darkness, but now you are in light. What are the, what are the characteristics of light? The characteristics of, of light are this. They consist of goodness and righteousness and truth. And Paul is using some generalities here. They're, all, they're, they're specific, but they're generalities. We know what the Christian life is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of what God does in our lives. And so our, one of our, we, we are the, that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. But your great exploration, your great adventure comes here. Your great adventure comes when you try to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. Brother Mike, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Find out what pleases God and please Him. Because, see, it comes to each and every one of us as individuals. As individuals, we need to find out what it is God wants us to do for Him and His kingdom. And the reason for this is because he, he may call Kendra and her family to Africa to serve as missionaries. may call the whitest families to to China, but that's for them to figure out on a day-to-day basis. They, they have to figure those things out as individuals. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the great exploration. Lord, what do you want me to do? And when you live that life, it, does, it has an interesting effect on sin around us. The way it says in verse 11, do not, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And see, that's, that's why it's hard to be a Christian right here. It's why it's challenging. Because you, as a Christian, when you are being the man or woman of God that you're supposed to be, it has a convicting effect. And people around you, it's hard for them to take. And if there's no, there's no middle ground, they will either love you or they'll hate you. You'll draw some to you and you'll repel others. And remember, many, many times, listen, guys, when you don't get invited to the parties, and I'm talking, let me get personal, I'm talking about right here in Van, Texas. When you don't get invited to the social functions and the parties and all the rest of it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, that they think enough of you and know that you won't participate in that mess. That'll destroy you and your marriage and your wedding and your kids and maybe get some kid killed on the highway down here somewhere because they can't see to drive home. And I tell you that truth this morning knowing that I was one of those fools driving up and down the road in the early part of my life. But by God's grace and his mercy, I never hit and killed anyone. So I feel like I can talk a little bit about it. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were in darkness, but now you're light. You were without a king, but now you have a king. You weren't loved, but now you are loved because of your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings me to one of the most exciting parts of this passage right here in verse 14. For this reason, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I almost um, did it with the young man that was saved, or rather baptized this morning. But the way this is constructed in the Greek, it's, it's in a triplet. And it's very probable that this was part of a baptismal chant. 
And 2,000 years ago, what you would have seen whenever they took a, a candidate down to the, to the creek to baptize him or down to the river to baptize him, they would have, he'd already been saved, but they'd have put him in the water. And as they would have started the chant, they would have put him in the water. And as he came up, they would be saying, Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. You all say it with me this morning. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. And that's what they would have heard as they come up out of the water. And I submit to you this morning that God is still doing that through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's telling us as a group of Christians, awake, O sleeper. This is a lost and dying world we're living in. And they need you. They don't need me. They don't need us on an individual basis, but they need the message that we're carrying. And we better wake up. Because I tell you, although it's been a long time since it was promised, the Lord God Almighty is coming back. And this world is going to burn. Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back to gather his own, and not everybody's going. And one of these days, very, very soon, there's going to be a lot of people out here scratching their head, wandering around, looking for family members, because that old sleeper had awoken. At some point in their life, they'd become a Christian. And the master returned, and he gathered us up, and he took us home, and we'll be there with him, and, and we'll be gone. Awake, O sleeper. What area of your life right now? This, this, is a, this could be a salvation message, and you can be saved at the preaching of this message but listen this is a message to you the church or to you who are visiting this morning is there some area of your life where you need to wake up and how you're raising your children and how you're conducting your marriage and how you're living your life the lord god almighty says to you through his word awake oh sleeper and arise you were this but now you're this and i'm so glad that he whispered in my ear that day so many years ago i said michael wake up you're not part of this old fallen world anymore. You're one of mine. You're one of my children. And I love you and I forgive you. And you shall never, ever die. And no one shall ever snatch you out of my hand. <laughs> Praise God Almighty. He said that to me. And I prayed the prayer. Where do you need to wake up this morning? Do you need to recommit your life or your family's life to the gospel? Do you need to be saved this morning? Do you have some challenging habit or addiction that you know that you need to give up? The master says, awake, O sleeper. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning in the, in the invitation. Father, we preached. And now, Lord, we're just going to leave it in your hands and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts. And Lord, I just feel like, I just feel like there are those this morning that need to rise up and need to awaken. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.